This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. Okay, they, they, they appear to be shutting the door, so I think we're just about ready to go. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming along. Uh, my name's Ruth Pitt. Uh, I'm a filmmaker by background, TV executive. Um, and I'm here to uh, help you express your views and thoughts on um, art and the creative artists and the creative economy. Uh, now, before we get going, I'd quite like to just ask you a couple of questions. First of all, was anybody who's here... Um, this afternoon, were any of you in the session this morning that looked at the same subject? There you go, so not a single person. We were wondering whether or not everybody would sort of come wholesale across to find out the answers to the questions that they were posing this morning, but uh, I'm pleased to know that's not the case because we don't want to go over the same ground. Uh, My second question to you before we get started is how many of you, if you could just put up your hands, because we want to just get a sense of how many of you are sort of artists as opposed to art administrators or working in um, areas supporting artists. So um, how many artists do we have in the room? Good, fabulous. Thank you very much. That's really really helpful for us all to know. Um, so as I say, arts and the creative economy, uh, that's what we're looking at uh, this afternoon. There was also a session dedicated to that very subject this morning. Uh, so I thought it might be a good idea before I introduce my uh, panellists to just run through some of the summary thoughts that came out of uh, this morning's uh, meeting. This was the one that was chaired by Kirsty, so she went very quickly through it for all those of you who were in the plenary session just now. Um, I suppose the main questions that uh, were asked this morning were, um, should the Arts Council have a brokerage role in a commercial model of arts funding? So in other words, should that, should that role be developed further? Um, what do we do in tough times to preserve the talent pipeline? Somebody described it as you know, choking it off, choking off the pipeline for young talent coming through. So that's something I'd like to think about today. Um, How can artists interact more with education to help new talent? So how do we get artists to be more integrated with our education system? How can we improve partnerships between business and artists or spaces? Please do. There's a couple of seats here if you want to wend your way to the front or or wherever. Thank you. Um, uh, again, what should the Arts Council role be going forward? Should it be more of a lobbying role? Should, should the Arts Council's role be to lobby local government to put arts policy uh, more centre stage, for instance? These were some of the questions we were talking about this morning. Um, what role should and can artists play in the regeneration of communities? Um, how do we get local councils on board? Do local councils get the importance of, of, of art to local economies? Um, how can artists make more use of uh, intellectual property? Although we didn't really explore that one. It might be something you want to talk about today. Um, and how can we best educate artists in business? Um, should, should councils really have policy statements about how they support the art and should artists be given more support to master business. So there was a lot of business thinking around this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say that we've got some people here who I think will give us a different perspective because we've got two people very much working in the area of publicly funded arts and we've got one panellist here who is very much on the commercial side. So um, if I can introduce them. Uh, 
Mark in the middle here. We'll start with Mark in the middle. Uh, Mark, do you just want to just tell us very briefly what you do? Sure. Hi, I'm uh, Mark Murphy, and I guess I'm, I'm a bit of a Swiss army knife, but for the past sort of four or five years, I've been writing, directing, and designing to some extent large-scale outdoor public spectacle work. I guess that would be the, the best way of describing it. Okay, thanks very much. And then um, Kit Monkman, uh, who's, who's also with us, who's the creative director of KMA. Kit, do you want to just explain your work? Well, I'm going to be very brief. I'm, I'm Kit Monkman, as you say, from KMA. Um, I work as, a, as an artist um, and make a living one way or another, which I'm going to talk about in my talk, so I won't talk about it now. That's okay. Okay, that's fine. And then uh, last but by no means least, Tanya Harrison from Festival Republic. What, what, what's the scope of what you do? Okay, um, I, Festival Republic, we um, uh, produce festivals, um, amongst them Reading and Leeds, Latitude Festival and uh, Big Chill. Um, many, many others, but I think they're the primary ones that people would uh, And you programme across all of those? And I programme across all of those, so to varying different audiences and with varying different budgets. Great. Okay, so uh, those are the three people who are going to give us their views in a moment. But what's very important to us is that we also get your views. So although, unfortunately, this is one of the rooms that has not been set out in a cabaret style, I gather what they did in this room this morning, so we're going to do it this afternoon, is at some point uh, in the next uh, half an hour or so, we're going to, I'm going to ask you just to sort of turn your chairs into some little groups, and then we can. I'm going to give each one of you... Um, a subject to discuss and then hopefully you can appoint a spokesperson to feed back um, at the end of this session what you've concluded. So there will be a little bit of a discussion um, part of this session if that's okay with you. Um, and uh, we aim to finish just after four o'clock. Uh, but I will be asking you for your thoughts and we'll be having questions, plenty of questions and answers before we have the chat and then we'll have a summary of what, what you've discussed in your groups at the end. So without further ado, I'm going to ask Tanya if she can just speak for five or six minutes about uh, a subject that she cares about very much. Okay, hi. Um, it's been quite interesting because this morning um, a lot of the discussion focused on uh, the Arts Council and funded work and the administration and responsibilities of local councils. Um, I come at it from um, a different perspective, really. Um, at Festival Republic, obviously, we um, produce festivals which are commercial ventures. So I work with funded work um, at Latitude primarily and um, also earned income and sponsorship, um, which means that, yeah, our resources cross, uh, cross um, all of those different worlds. Um, I think uh, what I want to sort of ask, or I think one of the, que all the questions that have come up are, is there a specific formula? Is there a formula that, that, that works across any of these, these models that can be applied um, across the arts? So I look to, you know, one of our primary, you know, money is actually brought in through music. And I had a look at the, the music industry model, of which has changed rather dramatically, I think, um, over the last sort of 10 years. And that because of the way that we um, consume our music um, and how that is very much driven on a digital platform. It's now pop music, uh, the whole model is very much... Um, R&B driven, um, the way that it's done, it's also one man in this band the whole role of the record company has changed um, from um, sort of research and development and 
from giving Kate Bush kind of acting classes and that to actually rights management, you know, which is so essentially, um, you know, record companies manage now live rights, sync, um, merchandise amongst others. So is that something, you know, that can be applied, say, to I, I, at theatre, for an example? But I think that they're, personally, I think they're very different um, in the fact that in the music industry there is a product um, and, and they are very product-driven. And what we're talking about in a, in a lot of art that um, has been discussed and uh, is um, it's a live experience, um, which also then we start talking, I suppose, about what the value is. Is, is, is it a product or is it an experience? You know, what is art? There's been a number of groups here that have discussed about, you know, what it is that we're, we're actually talking about. And I, I think value is, is very important. Because, and also the question of what is important? Is it important that it brings money in? Is it important that it has a warhorse revenue? Or is it just as important that it changes the lives of five people who have come on a Tuesday night, you know, to see a very, very small... Piece of what could be controversial work. Um, and I think one of the things is, obviously, Reading and Leeds is our primary festival, which generates probably the maximum part of our, uh, our income. Um, but it is in a market where there are 200 other festivals in the UK. Um, and a lot of them work to the formula three bands and a hot dog stand, which is essentially... And then you're all competing, obviously, for those same three bands. So the price is seriously driven up. Is that what we want? Or are we looking for more diversity? Is that what we want to sort of give to our nation's youth? Do we want to give them a palette of Metallica, you know, every year at every festival? I don't think so. I think that actually what we need to look at is the wheel, the constant wheel and the communication and the conversations between our audiences and our artists, artists to artists, and God, I can't even get all of those the right way. But anyway, a constant wheel of conversations between all of these practitioners um, uh, and receivers. Um, one of the things I thought about in that is um, years ago, uh, several years ago, Rebecca Brooks, um, you know, defended her uh, front page um, of Frank Bruno is nuts on the basis that um, that was what her audience wanted to hear, that she was talking their language. Well, I think actually the whole diversity of um, we can actually feed new ideas and new work to people without, you know, before they even know what they want. And I think that that is a big role of the artists and what we're talking about and also gets us away from that three band and the hot dog format. Um, Latitude was actually born out of the idea that, um, you know, personally I wanted something different. I didn't want to just see those things anymore. I wanted to see more of a diversity. Um, um, that was a massive financial risk for my company. Uh, we did lose a lot of money, a, a lot and lot of money. We didn't <coughs> have a three-year plan. It could have been wrong. It could have been absolutely terrible, and we could have just lost the money, and, it, and people might not have just wanted to see those things. And that is a risk that, you know, that we put our private money in to make. Um, but also, 
I think it's one of those things that also I do want to talk about because I do rely, we're, we're taking that financial risk, but I do rely on new um, work and funded work because I do think it's important to expand that palette, as I say. Um, and whether that be to our Reading and Leeds audience, to our 25-year-old, you know, to our 15 to 25-year-old, back to the question of what is important, um, do I think it's important to discuss the issue of the over-sexualisation of young girls? Yes, I do as a programmer, and I don't necessarily. And I think that the, if I'm communicating to that audience, I'm looking for artists and their work to showcase people like Kate Tempest, you know, Bridget Aphrodite. Um, you know, um, Laura Dockrell, artists, poets that actually are inspiring, that can actually change those lives, that make the people think differently in the in the work that they're consuming, in the music or the or the poetry or the art that they are hearing, um, and increase their appetite. If we don't increase their appetite, you know, then we're just generating the same thing. It's also back to um, uh, the point I think is we get them at the festival to write in about what their best and worst moments can possibly be. And, yeah, sure, they buy their tickets. We absolutely know that they buy their tickets on the three big bands. Uh, one of the examples I have on that is uh, Kerrang! ran this um, survey on, you know, what the, you know, their favourite, the kids, the, their readership's favourite bands were. And their top 13 bands appeared at Reading and Leeds. However, the Kerrang! audience said that the Reading and Leeds bill was the worst, worst bill that they'd ever, you know, ever seen. Because the top three headline bands were bigger than their top 13. But they, that, that's how they think. So with that in mind, you, you know, we have to make money. So you have to think, OK, right, so that's what they're, they're buying their ticket for. But what do I do with the rest of it? So it, it is, you know, that's where the importance for the funded work comes and also sponsorship. I'm going to talk a little bit about sponsorship because actually one of my favourite acts that I had on at the festival last year was Lost Dog. Um, very briefly, if you will. Very briefly, yes. sorry. It was Lost Dog, which is a very small company. But actually, they were there primarily because um, Bloomberg had literally... They'd won the Bloomberg Place Prize. Um, and the issue of philanthropy, you know, came up this morning. Um, and I suppose... and I, But also, it's very important to talk about the new audience and um, about where art is taking us. And I think from that, to go from Lost Dog to Matthew Bourne. Matthew Bourne was something I showed at the festival last, um, last year. And Mumford and Sons were finishing at the same time, just before Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake was about to go on. And what was incredible was the moment of where all of that audience that hasn't probably seen ballet or, so, you know, or, or been exposed to work like that, we might all think, oh, yeah, 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 Matthew Bourne, big selling, but not for everybody at the festival. <laughs> and literally, the whole thing just stopped. I couldn't get to the stage because all of these kids... It was really moving, sorry. All of these kids... God, what an idiot. Um, <laughs> All of these kids just stopped and thought it was fascinating. And I think that's why we ask what we do, and I think it's very important God, um, to keep that wheel moving. So obviously you can be commercial and still have a heart. You do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. That's a, that's a very lovely point to end on. And obviously to have that passion for the thing that you do is one of the most important things in the world of the arts generally, whatever the medium you're working in. Kit, you've got a very different perspective. Um, you're very much a, a practising artist, 
what have you got to say to us? Okay. <coughs> I think I've got a presentation, but I, uh, I don't know how we started or not or whatever. Oh, right. But anyway, that's, it's, it's, it's just slides. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, I wanted to talk a little about um, one of the subjects that came up quite a lot this morning, um, which was the idea of um, sort of brand association and, and uh, big corporate sponsorship and finance. And I may have misread the feeling in the room, but the consensus seemed to me to be this morning that it was pretty much something that one should take if one offered at, at any price. And I'm just trying to um, have a little talk that tries to put that in a very personal context and to kind of question whether, in fact, that is always the best route. So just just before you, uh, just to pick up on that, because the people weren't there, this morning, <coughs> in a way, it was almost as though what was being said this morning was it was taken as read that um, to make artists more business-minded was, was per se a good idea and that we had yes. to just think how we were going to do that. Yeah. That really was sort of the consensus this morning, I think it would be fair to yeah, say. Yeah. So it would be nice to reflect a little bit on what the impact of increased commercialisation might be on artists. So sure, okay. in that context, well, yeah. I work with my colleague Tom Wexler as KMA and we make large-scale interactive outdoor public works. And at their heart is the principle that the work is just set up and left. There are no organised performers and no prepared audiences. These are both formed by just impromptu and serendipitous responses from passers-by. So as such, there's kind of no gateway to entry. And therefore, there's absolutely no way, however much we might want to, that we could charge or acquire information or personal details from our participants and kind of get glean stuff of value from them. Um, and as the work itself is the experience, it's very ephemeral. There's really no substantial artefact or document that we could readily kind of resell. Um, so the income side of what we do doesn't look good. Um, and it gets worse because the work that we make is very expensive to produce. It requires large projectors, PAs, cranes, and because we're doing them in big urban spaces, obviously normally some kind of security and all the kind of permits and rigmarole that go with it. Um, but although it's expensive, um, you know, I obviously think it's interesting and challenging and new, um, but it does rely entirely on public funding. Um, so, of course, as a recipient of public funds, you know, I feel a, a keen responsibility as to how I should use them. And I have a kind of you know, four personal criteria, which I'll speed through. I mean, the first is obviously just not charging too much for one's time. And I mean, that's, that's a moot point we can go into later. But um, two, taking risks. You know, and always making work that you feel deserves to be made, which is not always as easy as it sounds when you're dealing with public money, because there is always a sort of inclination to, to try to play it safe. Um, my third one would be kind of fighting the box tickers while still ticking boxes, by which I mean, you know, our work appears in urban spaces and is open to everyone. Um, it engages very wide demographic, and in, do, in sorry, and in doing so, it's often seen to make a contribution to numerous social and political issues. Um, I'm absolutely delighted if it does, but I'm wary of predicating, or predicting, or quantifying those benefits, or making work sorry pr predicated upon them. And fourthly, kind of minding the gap, um, by which I mean making ends meet. Um, I, the, the, the amount of my own personal income that comes from these kind of big KMA installations is, is tiny. Um, but if I want to carry on making them and being available to make them, because I can never predict when the opportunity will arise, I have to find other ways 
of making ends meet, making a living. Um, and I am, I think, deeply entrepreneurial. It's what I've always done. And so, for example, I'm, we, we, we do an awful lot of work, Tom and I, in kind of more regular proscenium arch-based theatre, doing design, kinetic lighting design. We worked at Latitude on the, the main stage um, doing a live video for Paolo Nettini this summer, and we used the same sort of technologies that we use for our installations we used for Prince and his Welcome to America tour. So we're constantly trying to find ways in which we can survive as individuals in order that we can continue to work as artists. So I'm not, I'm not kind of trying to suggest that you know, I should be publicly funded. I'm just saying that this work needs public funds in order for it to be made. So that's how I've approached our publicly funded work, and I feel immensely kind of fortunate privileged to have been able to make work under these conditions. Um, it's still a struggle financially, and the prevailing consensus seems to suggest that the days of making work funded entirely by the pu public purse may be at an end. So what are the alternatives? I've already explained that for us, a traditional ticketing system couldn't operate, um, and the work that we make doesn't really survive beyond the experience. But what if during the years of nurturing and developing the ideas under the umbrella of public funding, the resulting work begins to acquire a perceived fiscal value? Um, We've recently been approached by a number of large brands who, who've kind of asked us to look into the, the prospect of making a KMA piece that is sort of you know, done in conjunction with their brand. It's a sort of brand alignment in the way that I mean, the film industry is, is increasingly using as a model for, for financing. Um, uh, for me, this raises two questions. When, when a private sector comes and, and, and sees something interesting that's been publicly funded and says, well, we would like to align ourselves with that. The first is, you know, should public funding actually support the private investment in the arts? And we talked about this earlier in the sense that, you know, the risky end of the business is being done by the public sector and then private sector coming and going, oh, that's quite interesting. We can see value in that. And then they get all the value and don't take any of the risk. So there's a kind of whole question there. But for me, the fundamental question is will the source of funding be to the detriment of the work? Um, and my answer to the second question, in our case, is yes. I think it will. Why? Because of trust. Um, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm kind of wary of the instrumental model by which box tickers in the public sector seek to quantify worth. But I do accept that it's an honest and fair attempt to secure value for money. But the, the brand association model of monetization, to me, comes with an altogether more complex subtext. KMA's work relies upon trust. You walk into one of our pieces and there's no one to react against or nobody to take issue with. You walk into one of these spaces and you feel engaged or you don't. And there's something in that, in the way that people share and explore the experience together, that I think allows the empathic, kind of collective experience that our work thrives on to grow, and that's our fuel. I, I suspect the moment the experience is monetized, its meaning changes fundamentally. And I believe that the trust and the empathy of our, sorry, of our participants becomes prostituted. You know, it's not ours to sell. These are, these are the moments that they create, and I, 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 I don't feel it's ours to sell. So just, just interrupting for, yeah. for a second, I mean, picking up on the point that Tanya made, that, which is that within the commercial framework of how Tanya is working... Um, there is every opportunity for something to have integrity within that and to, to, to have, mm, you know, to bring on new talent and everything. So, so you wouldn't say that two things are entirely mutually exclusive? No, absolutely not. I, I'm, what I, what I'm, I'm just at, at kind of at the end of what I had to say. I'm really what, what I end up by saying is I think you know, all of these things have to be judged on a basis 
uh, on a case-by-case -case <laughs> basis. You know, I absolutely am not saying, I mean, in fact, I'm working on other projects where we are taking public, I'm sorry, private money. Um, I just think you, you have to always ask, does it you know, fundamentally affect how you'd make the work and what the work would become? Um, and I think in this instance, it is, it is all about the fact that I think, you know, suddenly you allow that subtext in and, you know, whoever it is, whichever phone company or whoever it is who wants to align themselves with your work suddenly starts to use those images of people you know, participating together in a way that, that just is, is not in the spirit of, of the piece. And so I suppose I, all, all I'm trying to do is make the case for, for public funds uh, because I think they come off... Normally, they come with, with far fewer... Uh, constraints, and by constraints I don't mean, you know, uh, bureaucracy, but just uh, ethical subtexts, shall we say. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting point, and it would be nice to discuss a little bit further the, you know, the environment that we're working in, of course, which is moving very rapidly towards less and less solely publicly funded art. Um, so um, we need to find, you know, solutions that I guess we're all comfortable with. Um, Mark, you're sitting in the middle physically. Um, mm. Where do you sit in terms of sort of commercial versus public? Obviously, you're, you're mostly, well, entirely more or less, aren't you, funded publicly in terms of the, the, the work you create? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think my, my main job is to, to try and look after the integrity of the idea and whether that is publicly funded or privately funded or, or a mixture of the two. I think that's, ultimately, that's, that's the battle um, that you have. I think the, it's, it's hard enough making a piece of work and trying to, in a sense, this may sound strange, but keep yourself out of, of the idea. I think that's my first task, is that the more I make work, the more I try and get rid of any part of me that's in it. And, and I, as I say it, that does sound strange, but it's, it's somehow about trying to take out the things that you will think people will like you for. So you put this idea because you think, oh, people will think I'm really clever because of that, or people will think I'm really whatever, or people want to sleep with me because that idea is so good. But, you know, you try and get rid of all that stuff out of your head. Put yourself in a position where and it's a very special place to come up against, where the idea starts to tell you what to do with the work. Um, that's the first sort of bubble I think I sit in, and then there are all kinds of pressures that come, and, and it is, it, sometimes it is a battle. Sometimes it's, it's a really fascinating and rewarding game um, to try and keep the shape... Of, of an idea as well. I think you need um, you need fantastic people around you because if I'm trying to protect the idea then I think you need people around you trying to protect you and the idea and then you need people around that trying to protect them, the idea and me etc. So it's concentric circles of care for the thing but they, they've, they've all got the same heart, they've all, they've all got the same sort of wish for, for this thing to, to take a life of its own and supply its creators with all the solutions it needs. 
Um, so, so Mark, you mean what you're saying is that the there has to be a shared faith, really, in the idea, in, in a way that it has to be. But, but, but clearly, the sort of you know big events that you're involved in um, would lend themselves very easily to commercial sponsorship, wouldn't they? It would be very easy for those kind of events to be commercial. But you think that would, in a sense, destroy what they're trying to be? I'm, I don't think I'm even saying that. I think I'm. I try and retain a sort of naivety to that, to those external pressures, and just work my very hardest at, at the piece of work. Um, I think you have to, and very much as, as Kit was saying, you, you have to be wary of the subtext of anybody that wants to influence the idea, uh, for sure. And and I th- but I think there's also a spectrum of that. I've I've had situations where almost for and, and a lot of the projects I do, they there's like maybe a 14, 15 month life to them. I've had experiences where some of those where the, where the commissioners will effectively <coughs> pretty much within the first month or so will will go. Well, we're happy with your initial ideas. Off you go. And you see them regularly, and you update. But they're, they're very happy for you to be an artist. I've been in other situations where people are still passing you notes through the Harris fence on the day of the show to just, you know, would you mind just changing that? And would you mind just, just adding that? So there is a, a spectrum of influence. Um, and uh, I think you have to be incred- incredibly stubborn and and have a, a fantastic team. I'm not just saying this because they're in the room, but I work a lot with Walk the Plank. Um, and in terms of shepherding artists and ideas from germination to the to the final thing, I don't I don't I don't think there is a better organisation because again, it's those concentric circles of care around the thing that and I sort of know. It's very similar to working with performers or designers or composers. I, maybe I'm missing out on people, but I, I know very quickly if I can work with a person. That's not a value judgment on them, their work, but I just know whether you're my kind of person or not, and I make that decision really quickly. Um, and so you end up with a gang and a fantastic gang. And it's not that you're all sort of backslapping and... It's, it's a very provocative environment and there's, there's lots of interrogation of ideas. Um, but I know you feel that, 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 that you know, the funding for that activity has to be primarily public funding in order to have its integrity. I think that anything that gets near to retaining purity and integrity, mm. that, yeah, money, idea, mm. off you go. Off you go. Yeah, so trust is, is okay. obviously the thing... And, and also, just, just finally, I think it's not... I'm not trying to say that you're trying to protect the idea because you're the artist and it just sits in you and you're keeping it to yourself. You're protecting the link between the idea and the audience. That's the, that's the only thing for me. It's, it's, not, it's not about me. As I say, I try and get myself out of the equation as quickly as I can. But I try and get the idea to the audience because, yeah, that's the only reason. 
for doing it, surely. Okay, well, thank you very much. Sort of three quite different perspectives on the topic we're discussing. Um, there's a microphone. Um, I, I, I'm going to ask you to make any comments that you'd like to just for the next few minutes. Um, uh, questions to the panel or um, observations that you'd like to make. Um, just, if you would, because this is being recorded, um, if you would just say who you are and give your, your name and, and where you're from. Um, is there, can I see any hands going up? Oh, we've got, yes, one here. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Tim Laleen. I run a company called Year One Consulting. Um, and uh, three years ago, we started a, a sponsorship fund called the Show Prize. Uh, it was a £1,000 to... Um, encourage early career performing arts professionals to take their shows outside of Kent, where we're based, to festivals um, around the country or, or anywhere they liked, really. Um, and for me, this issue of trust is, is, is interesting. It's come up a couple of times. Uh, and also the, the kind of funding sponsorship ecology that's out there. Because as a small business, we're a small business. We're not Bloomberg. Um, but we really care about the arts. We work in the sector, and we want to put something back into the sector um, and sometimes that means mentoring and stuff, and sometimes that means money. Um, but there isn't, really, there isn't really the habit out there of small businesses doing that. So when we started to do this, we got a very weird reaction. So when we put this £1,000 prize out um, and said, you know, anyone can apply, uh, public funded, a couple of people from publicly funded, public funding organisations kind of got in touch, and one of them said to me, where did you get the money from? Because we, we can't recognise the fund it's come from based on the criteria you're using. And someone else phoned me up and said, um, and was angry with me, was angry with us, because we hadn't spoken to them first before we put the money out. Um, and then the artists, when they applied, thought there was a trick. So they said, OK, well, you know, we're not going to do it if you want us to put a T-shirt on with your logo on or anything like that. We <coughs> no, we just... It's just some money for you to go and do some stuff. So really, that's just a, a, encouraging the idea that um, because small businesses believe in something, they are prepared to support it, not necessarily for reasons of commercial gain. Yeah, I think, I think it's, a, it's about the fact that you don't have to be Bloomberg to sponsor the arts. Yeah. And, and would you all agree with that, that the, 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 you know, the small business uh, being involved directly with individual artists is quite a good way forward? I think there's a big difference, I think, between philanthropy on whatever level, and, and the kind of brand alignment, yeah. if you like. Because I think you know, there are lots of people who, who on different levels, either individuals or businesses, recognise the value of the arts and want to contribute. Um, I think, the, the, for me, the concern comes when you know that the reason that a brand is trying to align themselves to what you do is because they want to take some of the, the sort of gloss of whatever the, they see as you know, the, the reflection of the idea and repurpose it, or, re, re, or use it for their own their own ends, and um, and I think at that point, you know, like I say, I'm, I would even then I wouldn't always. I'm, I'm, it's not a moral stance. It's 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 just that if it if it, if the work survives that, it doesn't it doesn't affect the work. Then you know, fine. If if uh, on the other hand, I think you feel that it it is actually having a an impact on how you make the work and how the work's perceived, then it needs to be questioned. I think it's really difficult because essentially in an ideal world we would have it, it would all be funded and we, we can maintain the integrity of work. Um, what I find um, it, it is very difficult is um, 
say for an example, um, we, at Latitude in the first place, we didn't really have sponsors, but it's an incredibly expensive festival to do because we've got this big aim that we want to get artists and new work and people out there and expose it to a whole new people. And um, then, you know, we took, a, we, <laughs> we took sponsorship from Vodafone and... Um, or so obviously certain people in, you know, in my company took people uh, sponsorship from Vodafone. And, um, but I'd also invited UK Uncut um, to come to the festival because I think they're, uh, you know, what they have to say is very important. And you know, I often um, am opposed you know, against my own self and what I am supposed to be achieving at the same time. Um, but it was quite interesting because um, you know, UK Uncut, they, uh, they climbed on the Vodafone Tower and obviously you know, dropped a banner over it. Now, the thing is, is you know, I know that Vodafone were apoplectic with rage over it, but I, I can't say that I, you know, I'm like, well, well of course they're so going to, to have do the that. Of, your well, of course they're going to do that. <coughs> you know, and it, and it is a very difficult world to straddle because essentially, um, at the beginning of festivals, you know, there were many artists and audiences who were really against sponsorship, against big brands. Interestingly, we did um, a survey um, last year at, across the festivals, and, and I think our audiences are accepting more and more that that is, you know, where we have to, you know, take money. And, um, and you know, there is that you know, there is that need, you know, that we can't just rely on the Arts Council, we can't just rely on tickets if we want to have this diversity. But I think very much like Mark and Kit and, you know, um, that we have to maintain the integrity and, and, and at all costs. So it is all about managing everybody's expectations and that is a very, very fine line. Thank, thanks very much. OK, um, question here and then just a little bit further back there. Thank you. Could you say who you are, please? Sorry. Vishaka Sarkar. I run an organization called Chaturangan, Town Space from Liverpool. Um, the same sort of problem, you know, most of us are uh, project funded, most of Arts Council plans are project funded, but we are supposed to work like regular funded organization. So even if I am sort of scared to get good earned income, just need to get earned income to balance it, because if we get anything substantial, then we're supposed to give it back. <laughs> so how can you keep your overhead and the running cost of the organization to a professional level and not be able to get any earned income? Does that have any resonance for you, Mark? Well, or, or, or Kit? Yeah, either of you. Um, no, go on. Well, no, all I was going to say is, I mean, I, I don't think I'm shed an awful lot of light on it. to say... What a thorny problem I think it is that you know if you're um, if if you want to to do project-based work um, and you believe in it, then you like I said earlier about filling the gaps. Filling the gaps becomes very very difficult because many of the ways that you might choose to fill those gaps then preclude you from being available when the projects come around. And you know it is just one of those thorny old. Impossible to answer questions unless we lived in a perfect world, I guess. Um, there's a question uh, just just here. Yes, thank you. Hi, yeah, my name is Liz Wilson. I'm from York Theatre Royal. Um, we're funded or invested in by the Arts Council, but also our local authority. And a lot of people look at our organisation and think, oh, you're a publicly funded organisation. That's how you survive. Um, but the creative economy of an organisation of our size, it's not huge, it's a small business, um, is that you know, that represents about 24% of my overall income. 
Now, um, but people would still look at me and say, oh, well, you know, you sh we should be telling you what you, do you should be doing because this is our money, taxpayers' money, in your organisation. Now, I take that responsibility very seriously, but actually the people who invested in our organisation are primarily our staff, who are very poorly paid, um, but also uh, our audience, you know. And uh, we will raise income from um, a whole range of different areas, we are, this isn't a creative economy, we are entrepreneurs and that's part of our role um, running institutions I suppose um, to ensure that uh, we are finding as many different sources and ways in which we can commission artists uh, and create work. So um, I make no apology for that fact at all um, and it's interesting businesses in the, in the city will look at me and think well you're just a public sector organisation, what do you know about running a business? Um, uh, and, and vice versa, depending on uh, which sector you come from. But we are businesses, and, uh, and it's exactly as we should be. That's but, but, but presumably you wouldn't want to be entirely dependent on commercial funding. You value the I value that investment. In, of course I do. But, um, but it is part of an overall economy, and I see it as an investment with an enormous return. OK, thanks. I'm just going to take a few points, actually. There's a gentleman at the back here. Um, if we can just get the microphone. Thank you. Marcus Stroma from Pilot Theatre. Um, I think we have to make some really big, brave choices as a funded sector for the next three years because the public really do not get and understand what arts funding is and how it works. Because they pay their tax, they pay their council tax, then they have to go and buy a ticket. We have to really find some points of access along that chain at which it's a free point of entry. So it's like kids' work, as you say. There is a free point of access and entry at some point along that food chain. Because actually what we have to do is to make that case. Because in three years' time, we're going to be there again, wanting to make the case again as to why the sector deserves investment or subsidy. But we have to actually make sure that the public are on our side in the same way that they were on the side of the forests. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm thinking because time is sort of galloping on that I may um, let you off the hook for having conversations because it's actually rather interesting hearing what people have got to say. So rather than rearrange your chairs, if you'd like to continue to make your points, then I'll try to capture some of them by way of a summary that we'll feed back for later on. Um, so can anybody put their hands up? Who um, Here we are, the gentleman here. Roger McCann, NFA, International Arts and Culture. Uh, I'm a bit concerned at the tone that suggests there's the purity of public funding and the pollution of private funding and sponsorship. Uh, it ain't like that. There's good and bad on both sides. Uh, whoever's putting the money in is demanding something in return. The Arts Council's got all its boxes it wants you to tick. The sponsor has got boxes they want you to tick as well. And I think it's about negotiation. It's not losing your virginity to take in sponsorship money or commercial money. It's a different way of working, and that can help. Um, they were talking this morning, or just now, um, about the Turner Prize and getting that out to people. I was in Victoria Station a few years ago when Gordon's was sponsoring the Turner Prize. And in the concourse of Victoria Station, there was a big display explaining the different um, entries in the Turner Prize, inviting people to make their comments. I made a comment, and you put your name and address on, and it said you could win some gin. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Separate from that, there's another one saying, fill out this card, you could win some gin. So I filled that one out as well. And guess what? 
A couple of months later, I got two phone calls about an hour after each other, one from the competition and one from my comment saying, you have just won three bottles of gin. So I got six bottles of gin out of it, so sponsorship good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, would you like to just make a, a comment about that, the idea that, you know, there is a purity only if it's publicly funded? Yeah, I don't, and I really don't... I don't think I quite... Uh, got my point entirely across earlier, and, and, and believe me, I don't, I don't see it as, as that kind of decision. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's just the protection of the idea, whatever the source. That's, it's as simple as that for me. Um, and even when I had a company ten years ago, um, a dance company, and that was pretty much publicly funded but towards the end of that we started to get patrons and and some um, company sponsorship um, and you know it would, the match up is, is the important thing it's the, as you say it's the relationships uh, between the two parties but Kit seemed to be suggesting that it was impossible to maintain the integrity no 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 I wasn't sorry I, I, okay, maybe I, I was suggesting that the, in I said uh, I think we should do judge these things on a case-by-case basis and as I said, I mean, there are many instances in which I personally would happily enter the, some kind of relationship with a, uh, a corporate sponsor. Um, I think I was, I was just trying to give an example of our, very specific example of our own work where I feel uneasy about it. So really, rather than saying corporate sponsorship bad, I'm quite, quite the opposite. I'm just saying I think these things need to be questioned, and it's, I, there are times when I, I certainly feel uneasy about that relationship. Sorry, do you Sorry, want I, to say something? I actually do think that the, it, it is all about any relationship that we have with, 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 with any organisation or any person, and it literally is about you both managing your expectations on both sides, and also who is receiving it and what they understand it to be. Certainly, you know, in my world, the, the audience have a, you know a big say on the way that they feel about whether something is badged or whether it actually offers a service to them. That there is a great deal of pleasure, you know, for people that. that um, can charge their phone at the orange zone, you know, because it offers them a service. And I think it is about uh, about making it work. I cited Bloomberg because they literally just gave the money without any questions. I equally have worked with sponsors who have tried to sort of dictate the type of work or the type of artist or what the artist's response and what coverage and what everybody else needs to do along the way in order for them to pay their money. And some of those things are totally unmanageable. And I, I think, in a, for me personally, we're working obviously across the three. It, it does kind of work because it gives more freedom of, our, of, of what I want to achieve within that and for the people that talk and work within that framework and what it offers them. But that's not always available to everybody, and it, and it is hard. One of the things that came up this morning was about business skills and about learning how to do that and having a voice of saying that and who does that for you as an artist. We've got some, oh, sorry, there's a question here, but we've got some artists in, in the room, so it'd be really nice to hear what people who Hello, are um, artists think My as name's well. Alan Nomith. Uh, I, I was trained as an artist, um, and I'm the art, artistic director of Shisha as well as the Asia Triennial Manchester. I'm particularly interested with this idea of protection of the idea uh, in terms of the kind of projects that one develops through the organisation that you work with, whether it's a charitable organisation or not, in terms of IP, you know, and how that 
uh, kind of how one protects that. I think I think you were talking about the protection of the idea, whether that that is in the context of. So 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 in other words, what you're saying is that the, you know artists could. Um, you know, derive income from protecting their intellectual property better, rather than just looking for different sources of funding to be put on, put on, put in their lap, in a way. Uh, yes, I mean that's 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 one 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 thing. But there's also the kind of ideas that are that evolve through kind of projects. Okay, there's somebody at the back who I think wants to respond to that. So I'll just let the microphone go to the back there. Um, yes, it's about IP and about questioning who owns the IP in a publicly funded world and is there room here to open up the whole creative commons with attribution licensing for the work that we make, create and share as we now live in a sharing economy and how the social capital is really important and sometimes it's not all about physical capital. Totally agree. Yes. Do you, you don't agree? I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any other views on that? Uh, do we have any strong views on the, the whole issue of intellectual property and the way it has changed, of course, when we are sharing work in different ways now? Any views on that? Okay. Um, other questions then? Other points that people would like to make? What other artists are there in the room who have particular views on um, whether they uh, prefer to be publicly funded or whether they uh, wish to embrace and monetize their work in more business-minded ways? Yes. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kat Harrison, part of an artist collective called Non-Zero One. And I guess as an artist, I don't necessarily really mind where the money comes from. <laughs> That's um, a very no. pragmatic point of view. <laughs> as long as as long as the integrity of the idea is kept. But I guess what what I'd like to ask, especially Mark and Kit, is that um, often as an artist, the last person to get paid on our work is <laughs> the artist. Yeah. So, for example, you get paid. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, so, for example, like the bursary today has been absolutely fantastic, and um, it's been able to afford me to come up, uh, have my travel paid, have the hotel paid, have the uh, entertainment last night, and um, everything like that. But I won't get paid for today. So I've spent a day not working to attend this conference. Yeah, I think and that's I probably the. And probably the same, same for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And I was just wondering how how you manage that. Um, um, trying trying not to show disappointment all the time. I think is, is one of the. <laughs> you know, trying not to be a miserable sod about it, um, and and being persistent and and building on the little successes you have, and getting an agent of some kind or a producer or a manager who can take a little bit of the pressure off and who can just apply a bit more pressure that perhaps an artist feels like they're, they're messing up a relationship if, if they're too vociferous about s- such things as cash. Um, but it, it's a really difficult thing, it is, because you constantly feel, you can feel, you can get bitter, you can at a young age... And, and you can start to feel a bit like the runt of the litter quite a lot of the time. Um, I don't mean to feel bitter about it. And I think I'm not suggesting you are, no. opportunities <laughs> that we've had as a company have been really great. We performed at Latitude last year. We've, we're doing a piece for the National Theatre this year. Um, and we've, we've been having some really great opportunities. Mm. 
But the fact is that we never earn enough to pay for our company of six people. And that would suggest that the creative economy isn't working in the right way. And I wonder if there's something we can do to change that. I'm sure that strikes a chord with a lot of people in this room. Kitch, you wanted to make... Well, I just wanted to go back a a step. Sorry, just uh, something that's been said just helped me kind of, I think, unlock slightly my my unease about um, the the corporate sponsorship of our own work. And I just wanted to to say, because I think it may apply to a lot of things, but um, I think the reason is, and it goes to this idea of the shared shared economy and the shared, is that, and without the images, it's it's, it's maybe hard for you to, to, to see, but there are, there are no performers in our work. There are no audiences. Who, the, the, the whole thing is based on goodwill and people turning up in the moment, and they create the performance. They create the moment. So, in a sense, it's that feeling of it's not even ours to do a deal with. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, there is, there's a different relationship to it because it's not something that we have created and generated and, and taken out into the street and then say it's our work, sponsor it, whatever. It's, it's abusing that... To me, at least, it seems like it's abusing that kind of common ground, this shared ownership of the work. Okay, thank you. Uh, yes, question here. Why can't they see your work? Yeah. Well, I sent yes, I, I I, I the presentation to the Lowry as asked. <laughs> yes, I had no idea that you... I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Did, did, we, did we know there was a presentation set up? Anyway, never mind. Um, just well, just one, of those, one of those things that, didn't, uh, that obviously didn't get through yeah, to this no room. Um, sorry. So apologies, Kit, on behalf of, um, of the organisers for that. Um, but yes, I would have loved to see uh, your work up there as well. That would have been nice. Um, but sorry, this lady was uh, going to make a point. No, no, I was just going to agree with that. Why wasn't that up? Okay. Okay. Um, so, just in the last few minutes, uh, can I ask people if they've got any 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 uh, comments on their own experience of trying to seek sufficient funding for their work, or indeed of being interested in funding artists' work um, in other ways than using the public purse? Yes, lady here. Thank you, Diane Amons, dance artist. Um, just in response to your point, um, I don't know that I've just been fortunate or I don't know I'm just thinking about uh, not being paid for being here today Um, I see this as part of my professional development and the fee I would charge for my work will reflect the fact that I won't always be in front of my audience all the time so I have to actually budget for time spent on admin and time spent on my continuing professional development for which I've applied for grants for the arts, not for this particular, but it, it's costed in, and it's, it's part of um, my own duty of care to myself, if you like, and part of my own CPD. So in a sense, that's, that's part of the business of being an artist, yeah. and, and that is an important thing to do. And yet, quite often, we seem to be given the impression that the two things are mutually exclusive, that making money and making art don't necessarily live happily together. Does anybody have a view on that? I mean, sorry, there's a gentleman here. Uh, Roger McCann again. Um, I used to run a theatre, uh, and in the theatre, uh, they all had what's called a balanced programme. And when I went, what does this mean? And I discovered it wasn't an artistic balance, it was a financial balance. And it was saying, we can have enough shows that lose money, provided we've got the ones that make money. And a lot of the programme was determined like that. And I think it has to be the same if you're an artist yourself. 
Um, there are times when you're doing work you want to do. There are other times when the skills that you have developed, which actually have been publicly funded, yeah, yes, absolutely, you can then use those to make money somewhere else. So yes, so so the shows you normally do, yeah. perhaps that isn't one that you create for a, for a sponsor. No, absolutely. But could you use those skills to create something quite different for a sponsor that you make money yeah. out of, but then funds the other stuff going in? Absolutely. And I think that's the kind of ducking and diving we have to do all the time. No, absolutely. And and I mean I I, I haven't taken it to the point. Um, I mean, simply because I have, probably haven't had the opportunity to to um, to sort of get a, a a piece that I wouldn't normally have made um, sponsored. But I mean, for example, the Prince thing, you know, was a very good example. We're using exactly the same technology and the same ideas that we developed, you know, and it looks ghastly, but it you know it's but it pays the bills and it keeps keeps us going and it keeps us able to think about new work. Just put the sponsor's name on it and not yours. <laughs> There's a gentleman here, if you could just take the microphone. Thank you. Hello, um, I'm John Wassell from uh, Walt Plank. And um, I think it's the comment I'd like to make is about being entrepreneurial. And for 16 years, we ran a touring theatre <coughs> ship around the coast of Britain, taking it to different ports and harbours had very, very little funding, and we operated what we call uh, a Robin Hood policy. And um, we uh, started a commercial firework company and were quite successful as firework uh, artists. And we would take money from Paul McCartney for, for his wedding or his New Year's Eve shows and use it to support our, our art and our theatre. And my other comment is about sponsorship. I think we should be very negative looking forward about corporate sponsorship. You know, I don't think there is a lot of money out there that's going to prop up uh, uh, the subsidised work. You know, I think we're going into hard times, very hard times. We've been, um, Mark and I are working on a project in Northern Ireland, which is mainly funded by the Legacy Trust. Uh, it's the biggest event ever happened of its kind in Northern Ireland, and we've been working very, very hard to get sponsorship and haven't been able to. I think you raise a very important point on which to perhaps to close, and I'll ask the panellists, you know, that, you know, we are facing difficult times. How do you feel about the future? Because clearly public funding for the arts is under threat and commercial uh, funding opportunities are going to be more and more important, whether people like it or not. Um, do you, do you, you know, how do you feel about that yourself? Well, it does make it really difficult. You know, essentially, you know, for us, we've had uh, our budgets, you know, for what we're producing in our festivals. We don't really know whether the tickets are going to sell or not, you know, this year. And, um, you know, because it's all about experience and, and fun and we don't know if people have got any money for that, you know, but essentially we've got to, you know, raise that money. It's a big risk for us. I'm looking at that. I've had no increase on my budget or anything, but I still have ambition to bring new artists, to bring work in. You know, I've just had to look at that creatively, I think, you know, essentially what has been raised. I've literally, I've trimmed all of my stages down, my times down. I've looked about what I can do. I've had to raise the money because of Arts Council, you know, cuts that I need to pay to theatre companies to come, which means I have less in, which actually is really upsetting because I can give less work to new artists and that because essentially, you know, it's that 
dichotomy, but trying so to maintain... So your business, the, in a way, is a microcosm of, of the problem. Absolutely, but you just have to find every which way you possibly can and use every resource that you've got. And that, I think, is in times like this. All of us, it's just, this is the way it is. This is what we have to bring our skills and our resource to, you know, without losing the idea of the integrity. I don't want to change any ideas or beliefs or, or uh, you know, what I want to bring into the uh, cultural, uh, you know, or creative marketplace just because there isn't the funding. I just have to work that to make it work for everybody else. That's that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Mark, just in a sense, become more productive in difficult times, don't they? Um, I can only speak for myself, really, but I've... It's going to sound odd, but currently I, I've never had so much work. I've never felt more fulfilled. Uh, I've never been happier in my work. I've never had such fantastic big projects coming up. But I'm also very aware that after June the 30th, I currently don't have anything in my diary for the rest of my life. So, you know, so anyone who wants things, Mark on the 1st yeah. of August... Yeah. <laughs> So you're not, you, you don't feel disheartened, just a little bit concerned? Oh, I, I do, but I'm, I'm ever the optimist and also I'm trying not to... Because I'm so in love with the projects I'm doing at the moment, I don't want to, to sully that with, with saying, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? I want to fulfil those... And, and then possibly panic. Okay. Well, you can panic on the 30th of July. Yeah. Um, Kit? I think, I think a combination of, of the kind of economic climate and the you know, uncertainty surrounding that um, mixed together with the speed of development in technology, which is not just affecting people like me who make technological-based work, but affecting all of us in some way or other, um, actually makes the future incredibly uncertain but hugely exciting. And I think, you know, for most artists, that's an environment in which, you know, as human beings, we may feel trepidation and scare, but as artists, actually, it's a, it's a pretty exciting place to be, really, because the landscape's changing. So do we, um, do we think, as a, as a group, as we finish, um, you know, hands up, hands up those who feel, despite the financial challenges facing um, the arts, <coughs> hands up those who feel broadly optimistic... Wonderful. And broadly pessimistic. Well, hooray. So we, 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 we can go forward knowing at least that we have a sort of full heart <coughs> and a sense of optimism. Um, I'm, I'm going to... Wind, sorry, just very quickly, one question. Can I just say one thing? I mean, in terms of uh, Britain and, and the whole kind of British... In terms of Britain and, and the British art movement here, there are lots of incredibly successful artists... Uh, and it would be fantastic if there was some kind of uh, men men mentorial sort of role with key artists, you know. Uh, I don't think anybody's mentioned that at all, you know. Yes, I think that was, that was discussed at this morning's session, the importance of mentors and the importance of having practising artists around student artists so that the one group can learn from the other. And I think that interaction of um, artists in different circumstances is very, very important. And business mentors and practising mentors for new talent, I think, are two very important things. So thank you very much for your comments, which I will now feed back so that Kirsty can duly regurgitate them um, at the end of the session and uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed this and thank you very much to Kit, to Mark and to Tanya, my three panellists. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. 
For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland.